Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We're going to be doing a whole hour of question and answer on how you can bring your products to market through licensing and any anything associated with that. So um, start typing in your questions. I see a few of you have already started typing in questions. It's going to be fun. Hope you guys are having a good day. Um, feeling a little tired myself, but whenever I know I have to do these, I kind of get energized for an hour. And then if I had a long day, then I just go ahead and collapse afterwards. Uh, but I, I, you guys have such great questions and I really enjoy doing this. Um, so if you guys could start typing your questions in the chat, that would be great. Um, Tony already answered my question to verify that you can hear me. So that's good. Um, I noticed I was listening to a past audio um, live stream and the audio was like, okay, I'm a stickler with audio. So um, if anybody feels that way, you know, feel free to let me know. Um, but I, I think the audio is pretty good. My mic's way up here. I'll, I'll wear this silly, geeky-looking headset another time if you guys tell me that you'd like better audio. But I think it sounds good. All right. So let's jump in here. First question. Let's see. Oh, I thought there was something. Oh, Caleb was okay. Uh, Waleed, who is a regular here on our InventRight live stream. Hi, Andrew. If the company has a submission link. Oh, hey, before I get started, have you guys checked out our holiday gift guide? I, I'm going to put that in the chat here. Um, let me see if I can. Oh, it's in my other browser. Let me check that out because there's a bunch of products that our students have licensed that are currently on the market and you can buy them for your loved ones. Um, or anybody you need to buy a present for. <laughs> and um, it's pretty cool. We're so happy to support our students that have products on the market. So let me go ahead and get that link for you guys here. So this is really cool, guys. I just put it in the chat. There we go. So make sure to check that out. So let's jump on with Waleed. Uh, hi, Andrew. If the company has a submission link at their website, is it enough to send on the link? Or should I call the marketing manager also? Are such links effective and seen by companies? Okay, so um, Steve and I are really, we always refer to them as portals. It's really not a portal. It's really a submission page on a company's website. Um, and I, I don't, we don't find them to be very effective. They might work with some companies, not others. Um, to be honest with you, if, if a company has a submission page on their site, I wouldn't hesitate to submit there for a second, but I would also reach out to several people in the company utilizing LinkedIn and or email and try to get it in directly as well. Um, nobody's going to get mad at you about that. That's perfectly fine. Uh, so, but just to rely on submission pages on a company's website, you know, you don't know who's looking at that. Could be some intern, could be somebody that's important. Maybe one week they give it, they're serious about it. And then um, next week, they're not paying attention to it and just let them go, you know, and they don't pay attention to them. So, um, and that's what we found to be true, you know, uh, that it's all over the map. And sometimes companies will have that just to, as a place for ideas to go. So they don't have to deal with you. Other ones take it very seriously, some in between, but if you are only submitting products through to companies on their submission page on their site, um, you're dramatically reducing your chances for success. You need to reach out via phone, LinkedIn, and email like we teach our students. Use the techniques that we teach our students. You guys aren't all students, so I don't have time to teach you all those techniques. But um, 
you know, you, you, need, you need to do that. Don't just submit on their pages. Um, Stephen or other co-founder, he's really negative about those pages, but I, I don't see any harm in it. I just see harm in it if that's the only way you're submitting, if that makes sense. Um, and don't for a second think that, oh, I'm going to be pestering them if I try to reach out to a marketing manager on LinkedIn in addition to submitting on their website. And I wouldn't even mention you submitted on your website. You know, now, oh, here, I'll give you a trick. I'll give you a trick here. So let's say you you try to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn or via email and they say, well, no, you need to submit through our site. Say, oh, I already submitted through your site. Can I send it to you? Can you take a look at it? Um, and it, they might they might say, no, no, well, you got to submit through the site. And if you have five people in the company, I'll tell you that, then you, you know that their attorney has told them or whoever has told them you can only submit through the portal on our site or the submission page on our site. But that's usually not the case. So, you know, you might say, yeah, but I want to send to you. Can I send it to you? Can you take a look at it? Um, so that's perfectly fine. People aren't persistent enough in getting into companies. Um, and one thing I like to say is, People feel intimidated by submitting to large companies or even medium-sized companies, um, and, and you shouldn't because you're not submitting to the company. You're submitting to an individual, a real live person like you and me, and they're normal people just like us. They're not like wizards or captives of industry or anything like that, most of them. They're just they're just people, and their job is to, to market products, and if they see a good product, they'll want it. So... Um, if that kind of brings it down a level for you, it's like, oh, there's this really big company. I can't submit to them. Well, it's not them. It's the person that you chose to submit to. Now, when you're just submitting on a submit page on their site, you really do feel like I'm submitting to the company, right? And you kind of are, but there's still one person looking at that and taking a look at it. That's why I really like our Bridging the Gap program that we do for our students, because we bring on marketing managers and um, design managers, and then sometimes CEOs, uh, but the company's not too big. And um, they talk about on Zoom live with our students and our the students that didn't attend live, they catch the replay. They go, here's a little bit about our company. Here's a little bit of our product line. Here's kind of what we're looking for. Here's what I am dealing with, you know, as a marketing manager, for example. And you start to think about things in their mindset, because if you can understand a marketing manager at a company, you can do better submitting to them. But if you're just if they're just this mystical creature, you know, then they're a mystical creature. But if it kind of brings it down a level. So even when we have let's say we have somebody a marketing manager for a big kitchen company. Come on. Well, one of our students that attends that or watch the replay, they have an automotive aftermarket product. Right. Or let's say gardening product. Right. They don't they're not going to submit their gardening product to the kitchen company. But just to see a marketing manager on there talking about their life and what they have to deal with and the way they receive submissions and all that stuff, hugely beneficial, just makes it freaking real rather than this fictional mystical process, you know? Um, so boy, I really went off a tangent on that one, but I think that was good stuff. Um, I'm biased. You guys can tell me if it's not, I don't mind. I, I can, I can take it. Um, Caleb, who I think is also a regular, I believe. Uh, Hi, Andrew. Hope this makes sense. I developed a tool that never got traction, but when trying to license it, I reached out to, let's say, a nail company to endorse my hammer idea. Now, the nail company wants to see a demo of my hammer. How should I handle this? PPA has expired, so hammer and nail is for 
example only, Nail doesn't make tools. Okay, Nail company doesn't make tools. All right, so he submitted a product to a company that doesn't make that type of product. And now they want to see a, a demo. So, okay. Um, but he said his goal was to get them to endorse it, which is interesting. You know, we're speaking, he says it's not really a hammer and a nail. He's using this as an example. Um, it's not really typically how I uh, approach things. I don't know the specifics. It's not a hammer and nail, so it might make perfect sense. Um, could you have this random company, you know, endorse your product and then you're going to tell another company, hey, this company loves it. Is that really going to benefit you? Probably not. Um, now, what would benefit you if, and this isn't the, the, the standard approach that we take, is if you talk to a buyer at a retailer and they said we'd like it and you say, well, if I license this to one of your vendors or to somebody, will you buy it then? They say, yes, that means something because you don't license to a retailer. You license to the manufacturer that sells the retailer. And typically when you're licensing in the approach that we teach, you don't reach out to a retailer. You reach out to the manufacturer that sells to the retailer. But one thing you can do is kind of pull through marketing. You can reach out to the buyer at the retailer and show them the product. Now, they'll be a little irritated with you because you're going to show them your sell sheet. Oh, where's the price sheet? What's the price? When's delivery? And you're like, oh, no, I'm not manufacturing this. I'm looking to license it. And and if if I license this to one of your vendors, you could say that could be another vendor. Uh, would you be interested? And they're like, oh, yeah. And now you could take that to those vendors. Okay. So that makes sense. But calling a nail company saying, I want you to endorse my hammer and they don't make hammers. You know, I, I, you know, if they said, oh, it just works so much better or whatever. I don't know why they would do that. I don't. But again, you're just this is a hypothetical situation um, or it's not a hypothetical. You have a different product. So it's really hard to say without the specifics. But I did go into something that is more powerful, which is talking to a retailer. Is that where I would, you guys should start? Absolutely not. That's like a rookie move, going to a retailer, think you're going to sell this to a retailer, a license to a retailer. You don't do that. But if you're aware that you're going to get interest from a buyer, then they're going to be a little upset that you couldn't sell it to them right away. And then you say, well, if I bring this to you with one of your vendors, would you be interested? That's fine, as long as you're aware of what you're doing. The problem is a lot of people directly reach out to retailers and they're just clueless about how to license a product. So, um, uh, Leaf said, what is the deal with patent citations? If a patent is unexpired and references in your patent for a separate invention that builds off that patent, do you pay them royalties? No, a, a patent's a patent. Whatever's in the patent is what you're protecting, but you need those citations. And when you're doing patent searching, that's very critical that you, you see a patent, then you look at the other patents they're citing, and then because those are other pieces of prior art and see if those are relevant. So that's how that works. Um, but no, whatever is covered in each individual patent is what was patented and what's granted, providing it's issued. Now, what's kind of a funny thing and not so funny too, it trips people out, is people sometimes are students, more often non-students, but sometimes they're students. They'll come to us and they'll be all worried that they found this patent. And, and they're like, oh my God, they like protected this so well. And I look at it, I'm like, dude, this is an issue. This is just pending. So when you file a patent, it takes anywhere from typically one to three years for the patent office to get back to you. 
And then the patent examiner at the office and your attorney will have an argument. I call it, it's called office actions. I like calling it, I use layman's terms, I'll call it an argument. And they'll argue about what kind of coverage you're going to get. And then you're granted some things and not others. What patent attorney is doing for you is trying to get you the best coverage. So when people will see an unissued patent, because when you file a patent after 18 months, if it's not issued yet, it'll go public and people will search and they'll find it and they'll freak out going, oh my God, this guy's great protection. And I'm like, this isn't issued yet. Maybe they'll only get like one tenth of those claims, the protection. We don't know yet. And they're like, oh, okay. All right. So that's, there's a little tip to make sure the patent is, is issued if you find something that's concerning. But as we talk about here at InventRight, we're way more concerned about what is or isn't on the marketplace than what is or isn't patented, okay? Rarely are patents an issue. Um, they can be, but rarely are they. Uh, because a lot of times people, they, they, they really end companies, they don't really protect it correctly and you can get around it. And then people are like, oh, but then people can get around me. You know, and it's like, well, not if you thought about the variations, workarounds, improvements and threw them in your provisional and later your patent. Okay. So uh, let's see what else we got here. Tony says, live from Nevada. It's Andrew Krause. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, as always, thanks again, uh, he says. So thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Um, Jose, are companies willing to license out the brand post COVID? Maybe because they didn't do so while in the past two years. Uh, well, first of all, Jose, on the COVID thing, our students were licensing just as much uh, during COVID as before and as now. It, people were not licensing less products. There was thing thing that was happening with supply chain issues in COVID where it would take our students longer to close a deal because it would take the company longer to get quotes overseas, usually in Asia, um, to see if it can be made at a reasonable price. So that would drag the deal a little bit further. So it took them longer to make a commitment to sign a contract. And then when they launch the product, and I think that's still true today, it's taking a little longer to launch the product um, because, it, it, you know, there was all this stoppages at the, at the ports, you know, that they were just backed up and they couldn't get the product in. And, um, you know, so that, that was a big issue for a while there. But I don't think there's... So what, what Jose is, he's talking about brand licensing here. So he's saying, are companies willing to license out the brand post-COVID Maybe because they didn't do so in the past two years. I, I don't think there was any less brand licensing during COVID. Maybe. I have no idea. Um, brand licensing, guys, is, and, and this is another tip that might confuse some of you at some point. So this is a good one. Um, there's something called a licensing expo in Las Vegas. I live in Henderson, so it only takes me like 20 minutes to drive there to, to the licensing expo at the Mandalay Bay there at the top of the strip. And, um, and by the way, where I live is nothing like the Strip. I, I never go down the Strip. Yeah, maybe my anniversary with my wife, if I want to take her to a fancy restaurant, even then, eh, it's just a lot of weirdness. I, I mean, it's good that people come here, they lose money in the middle of the desert, so they leave the money, and then I can live here because it's beautiful uh, here in a lot of ways. Desert has its own beauty. I like the forest, too. But, um, yeah, I, I don't live anywhere near the Strip because that's just a lot of weirdness. Um, I live in a very family-oriented community. Uh, it's, it's only, if there was no traffic, it can only be 20 minutes to get there, but it's like a world away. Um, and there, to be honest, there's a lot of places I would not live in Las Vegas, but in Henderson, where I live, I really like it. 
Um, but getting back to that, there's a an expo called Licensing Expo in Las Vegas um, every year. And that's not what you think it is. It's not a place to go to license your invention. It's a brand licensing expo. So normally, a regular trade show, let, let's say SuperZoo, okay? So let's say, uh, let's say, well, let's say you got Aaron's product here, this cool product. It's a dog. You put the dog treats in there and the dog rolls it around to get the dog treats out. It's one of our students licensed that. Um, so let's say you were looking to license that. So you go to the Super Zoo show, which is a pet trade show. And who are the people with the booths? The people with the booths are the manufacturers, manufacturers that make dog toys, for example. Okay. And then who are the people walking around? For the most part, there's inventors like you, but the most part, they're retailers. And they're walking around looking for new products they can put in their stores, right? Whether it's a big retailer, small retailer, whoever. So that's Super Zoo. So the people at the show are the manufacturers. People walking around are the retailers. Now that's flipped on its head. It's a whole different ballgame, actually. Who are the people at the booths at the licensing expo? The people at the booths are people with brands. So like Disney, NFL, you know, think of any brand. You know, it's a famous brand like like Jeep, right? So you know, when you see a Jeep boombox, I don't know if people call them boombox anymore. It has a, let's say, let's say it's a little speaker system that you connect with Bluetooth on your phone and it says Jeep on it. You think Jeep makes that? No, they don't make it. They license their name. So when you have a really well-known name like Disney or the Disney, you know, cars or whatever, Disney uh, series or NFL or an NFL team or what have you you can license out your brand. So who's at the licensing expo? It's the brands are at the show. Okay, they have booths. And the people walking around, this is a brain fart, are manufacturers that want to put the brand on, that want to put a brand on there. So that's, this is actually a good example. Chuck licensed this. And it is a, a dog, a dog, it's, smells good. It smells like, and it's, it's co-branded with Arm & Hammer. So they paid Arm & Hammer. This company is, what's the company here? I forget. I was at their booth at the show. Uh, Where's the freaking company name here? Uh, where is it? Let's see. It was right. It was right here. Well, anyway, it's not Arm & Hammer. Arm & Hammer didn't make this, okay? So, but they co-branded it and put Arm & Hammer in there, and then they get paid a royalty for, for that, you know, because people, oh, it's a familiar brand, okay? So people at the booths at the licensing expo are people with brands that people walk around are manufacturers that want to put Mickey Mouse on a T-shirt, all right? And they got to pay a hefty royalty to do that. So basically, these brands are making money instead of licensing their invention. They're brand licensing. They're licensing their name. And you got to meet with the certain style sheets and all that. Anyway, so in one respect, that's I've just explained what brand licensing is. And then uh, on another note, um, I'm saving you guys from going to licensing expo thinking that's when I'm going to go license my product. No, it's not. Um, unless you're a manufacturer and you want to license a brand, that's not the right show for you. There might be a occasional exception. Um, so Joe's original question is, are companies willing to license out brands post-COVID maybe because they don't do as, did do as well in the past two years? Yeah, brand licensing is just as big as ever. And that might not have been Joe's question. 
because I don't fully understand it. So Joe, you're welcome to type in and clarify some more. It looks like we got a lot of questions here, so I'll move on. Um, but that was interesting. For those of you that didn't understand what brand licensing is, now maybe you know a little bit better. Um, and I don't know if I answered Joe's question directly. Joe, you can type in if I didn't. Um, uh, Wade says, uh, well, I don't know what Wade's doing here. He's actually one of our students now. I think he used to attend these, and now he's one of our students. Looking forward to learning more about different subjects again. Highly recommend becoming a student. Oh, this is nice. Becoming a student as well. Can't say enough about the InventRight program. Thank you, Wade. I'll pay you later. I'm just making a joke, guys. I don't do that. Um, let's see what else we got here. Okay. Uh, my two cents says the audio is very good. I was asking for feedback on that. Um, I, I can always put on my geeky headset if that provides better audio in the future. Um, let's see. Well, Caleb earlier said, I do have a prototype I can do the demo with, but Caleb, if they don't sell that type of product and they never will, I just don't see the point, but you were kind of speaking in code as to what the product was. The company doesn't sell that type of product, but you want them to endorse it. So I, without knowing the specifics and don't share them here, if it's confidential, of course, don't share anything confidential. Uh, Okay, this is cool. Monkey Man said, tomorrow is my first day as a professional inventor. I love that. My plan is to submit three ideas at a time to companies with a PPA and marketing material. Any tips, Andrew? Thanks. Um, big mistake. Don't do that. Uh, do not ever, not never, not never, do not submit three ideas to a company at a time. Only submit one. Now, once you've submitted one and they're open to receiving more and you ask and they say, sure, you can send more than one at a time, then do that. But sending the first one is the way you make the relationship. You wait for them to send, say no, because most of what you're going to get is no. I mean, you reach out 30 companies and 28 say no and two are show a little interest. One falls off, you end up doing a deal with one. That's how licensing quite often works. Sometimes you get interest from five. Sometimes one, sometimes none. Sorry, our customer service manager is calling. Um, so I'm going to turn off Skype here so I don't get interrupted again. Sorry about that, guys. Um, so no, do not submit three ideas to a company you don't already have a relationship with. Okay. That's going to piss some of them off. Some might be okay, but you don't know who those are. Don't do that. Do not do that. So I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm all, you said, I'm all cut up on the various other stuff and plan to tackle this work daily. So, you know, I mean, once you've got your sell sheets and you got your PPAs in place, you're probably not going to be making outreach daily, you know, um, because, you know, you got to wait. And if you're doing it daily, you're probably doing it too much because you only waited two days when they didn't respond when it should be like 10 days to two weeks before you send out again. So get yourself on a schedule. Do not send three products to a new company you've never sent to before, unless you have permission, only send one and then still get permission, but do not send three at a time. Don't do that. But staying in an industry is really nice because you can keep submitting them more ideas. Um, Richard said, as a student of the coaching program, how is a typical day of assignments for the coach, for the student go? So, you meet with your coach once a week and you talk to them for half an hour. The first meeting is an hour. And then you like, let's say I was your coach. I was talking right now. We'd be meeting again next Monday, but during the week, you know, your coach knows you, they know your strengths, your weaknesses, the project they gave you to do. So dropping them an email in between 
on something you're confused about or you have a question, they can answer that. So that's nice as a supplement. Now, to me, email-only coaching would be a complete and utter joke. You need to talk to an inventor to get them on the right track. Talk about the product. If you're on Skype, which is nice, I love when our students are on Skype, because then they can share their screen. The coach can share their screen. They can do some searching and stuff, too. So that's really, really beneficial. Um, But they're going to point you down the right path. They're going to look at your particular product. And it's like, that's the thing when you do a Q&A like this or read a book or watch a video. You think you know it. You don't, but you you don't know if it applies to your product. So for a coach to verify, oh, yes, that applies to this product and do this and this. It's how you can expand your list of companies. It's how you can do that or whatever it is. Um, That's huge. So they're pointing you down the right path. And then during the week, you might get a little confused on something. You drop an email. Then you check in on uh, a week later and they're looking at what you did and you're not showing it to anybody yet. You're showing it to your coach. So they'll go, well, this and this and this is right. These things need to be fixed. Here's your next step. And then anything that comes up, anything a company can email you, any frustrations you have, they'll have an answer for it like that. So that's the basics of it. Um, And that's why our students license stuff, because they're actually doing the work and the coach is guiding them. Most inventors just file patents and make prototypes and think about it. But there's a lot needs to be a lot more doing and a lot less thinking. That's kind of a phrase that I coined recently. Um, And our students do. They become doers. And it's hard to go from just dreaming up ideas to actually working on them, not reaching out to two or three companies, but 20 or 30, not sending terrible marketing materials or just so okay marketing materials, marketing materials that a company is going to get in like six seconds, not obsessing over your PPA. Probably nobody's going to look at it anytime soon. You can always file another one if they want to look at it. You know, it's it's not as big of a deal as you think, but our students do a great job with their PPAs as well. Really looking at the marketplace and figuring out, do I need to make some tweaks to my product? Am I aware of other stuff in the marketplace? You don't want to have egg on your face. I don't even know where that saying came from, but you don't want to have egg on your face. They're like, well, what about this? And you're like, oh, I didn't know that existed. But you're not trying to prove your product doesn't exist. You really want them because they know, the marketing manager, they know all the products in that space. So you want to look at it and go, huh, yeah, I think people would want that. So, um, And that's based on what other products are in that particular space. So if you have a garlic press, you should know every freaking garlic press. If you have a kitchen cutting board, you should know every kitchen cutting board and the benefits of them and the price ranges and the materials and stuff. So that requires some work and it's fun. But People like would like to have, some people want to have blinders on and they don't really want to acknowledge what else is out there because they're afraid they're going to find something similar. Well, guess what? That marketing manager already knows. Okay. You can't do that to yourself. Um, But going from doing all that stuff from before, just dreaming up ideas, all the stuff we teach you isn't as much fun as inventing, but it's necessary. Inventing, coming up with the ideas, maybe five, 10% at most, max 10%. OK, the rest of it is all the boring stuff. But fortunately, it's, it's not much more in sweeping the floor. It's not rocket science once you get used to it. But people make so many wrong assumptions. It's crazy how many wrong assumptions people make. So don't just assume what to do. So getting back, um, Richard, when the, somebody's looking at your particular product and telling you specifically what to do for your product, this makes sense or you're, they're having you do some research, come back, show it to them, you look at it together, you figure it out, that's very, it's very powerful. So you can go to um, inventright.com and click on Contact Us and book a call with Sylvia or Dana. They're both super friendly and talk to them about uh, more about the program and how it works. 
and they won't hound you. You know, you might be like, I'm not really ready to do this the first half of this year, next half. Just talk to them about um, about what we do because they're really chill. And we're really chill. So nobody's ever going to go, oh, don't you don't want to sign up? Well, don't you want to become rich? Like you, you don't get that crap from us. We don't do that. Um, let's see. I lost my space. Okay. Arturo, if I have 30 solid ideas in my opinion, is it way too risky to just reach out to companies without protecting all my ideas? I'm very limited on funds right now, but want to get the ball rolling. Okay. So Arturo, uh, you need, well, we advise all our students and the public that it's always a good idea to file a provisional patent application. So we're taking your costs from, you know, eight to 12K down to $75 because when you file your own provisional patent application, it only costs $75. We give our students some software called Smart IP, and you can buy that separately on inventright.com too. The ones our students use, the version our students use is unlimited use while they're a member. And then the one the public can use, it's only 99 bucks and it's a one-time use. But you, after you kind of do it, you're like, oh, I get the gist of this. So you could you can only use it to file one provisional, but if you get the idea of it, you could probably file the next one yourself maybe not even have to use it. Um, so $75 is pretty damn cheap. Now, I understand you're like, well, it's 30 ideas. It's like, well, you're just getting started. Don't work on 30 ideas when you don't know what you're doing yet. You know, um, so we still highly recommend and anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice to file a provisional patent on each and every product that you work on. Could you not do that? And then you can't legally say patent pending on your sell sheet and then still send your ideas to companies. Yeah, you could do that. Could Are you taking a little bit of a risk there? Yeah. Or I think it's a lot less risky to file a provisional patent. Um, but if you're that tapped out and you can't like afford to get a virtual prototype done or something that looks decent for the sell sheet and you're not a graph professional graphic designer, which most of you aren't, and you're going to try to hack together this really amateurish sell sheet in like Microsoft Word, um, you're probably doing yourself a huge disservice. So you do need to spend a few bucks on a sell sheet, virtual prototype and filing a PPA in my opinion. Um, and so just to go really cheap and not have a professional uh, do your sell sheet, I think for the most part, that's a mistake. Um, it's not even that, like even if a professional did it and your marketing sucks, it's just going to be a pretty piece of junk. So what you need to accomplish, and I've said this many times on this stream, they need to get your product in six seconds. And nine, and I'm not exaggerating, guys, 95% of our new students and the, the sell sheets I see from the public are not good enough. Maybe another 5% are okay, but do you really want okay? Or do you want like, boom? So... Um, do people come on board with us and the coach is like, oh, this sell sheet's great. Marketing's great. No, almost every single time they're like, this isn't good enough. Sometimes it's like, okay, but most of the time it, it sucks, um, quite frankly. And it sucks for many different reasons. It sucks because you didn't do your research on looking what else is in the marketplace and you're making all these false assumptions. It sucks because you're throwing features instead of benefits in there. You can include them both, but that's not right. It sucks because the pictures are wrong, the benefit statement's wrong, like everything's wrong, right? Um, so Arturo, if you wanna not file a PPA, you can do that. I'm not telling you to do that. 
I'm telling you to file a PPA and you want to hack together a cell sheet you did in Microsoft Word when you have no design background. And then you want to put a prototype that looks so God awful in there and then you're going to expect people to license it. I think that's going to be hard. Now, you didn't say all that. You just said, hey, can I do it without protecting my PPA? Maybe you're a professional graphic designer. Um, but even then, I see professional marketers when it's their own product, their sell sheet isn't good enough. Um, where I know they could do a good job for somebody else because their product, they're kind of like too, they're not, they're not paying attention or they're not seeing through their own thoughts. And then a coach is very beneficial. So um, Mike, Mike Repair Stuff is their handle. Sharing this live stream, Andrew, uh, your steady message is always appreciated. Thank you, Mike. Um, okay. Oh, okay. Caleb was saying he was doing a hypothetical hammer and nail, and he wants to license to a hammer company, but the nail company said they want to look at it. And he's saying my it's not actually a hammer and nail. He's not saying what the product is, which is good because you don't want to make public disclosure. But he said my hammer works exceptionally well with their style nail. So it sounds like then Caleb, what, what you're saying, and he's not actually selling a hammer and nail, guys that getting their endorsement might help you do a licensing deal. It's kind of a distraction if you ask me, but without knowing the specifics, um, I can't say, but it sounds intriguing. It doesn't sound like it would hurt you. Um, we have students that will have like a, a doctor or a dentist endorse something. They say this product is great or what have you. Um, so I think that, that that's okay. That sounds good to me. Okay. Um, Tony makes an interesting point. A nail company might alienate other hammer companies by endorsing a particular hammer. Might be better to ask contractors to endorse it. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but of course, we're not talking about a hammer and nail here. But that's, that, yeah, without having the specifics, that's the nice benefit of coaching when you get really into the specifics. Like, this is my product. These are the other products in the space. Then a coach can give you very specific advice, which, of course, we can't give here. Um, okay. Okay. Miss V said, how can you locate a PPA on the USPTO site? You can't, um, a provisional patent is a beautiful thing. Nobody can see it. And if you never file a full utility and reference the provisional to upgrade it, um, it'll never be seen by anybody. So, um, that's a beautiful thing. So no, you, you can't look up PPAs on the patent office website, which is great because nobody can see what you have. So sometimes this is overkill, but sometimes if people are in a really difficult industry and they haven't issued patent and they're so proud of it. And I'm like, well, this is like medical devices. And I'm like, this is a really difficult industry. You don't want to then have to go send them your patent and then they can try to figure out a way around you. Now, with that said, I have never in the 23 years we've been doing this, I'm not aware of one of our students that got knocked off by a company they presented to. There's certain industries like medical products that are really obsessed with patents. So let's say an inventor had a patent and he's so proud of it. Here's my patent number, right? And it's like, if you want to keep them guessing, it only costs you 75 bucks. So you could say, if you file a provisional in addition to the patent you filed, it could be insignificant stuff. Well, my product is patented and patent pending and they can't see your provisional. So if it's in a really difficult industry, which most of you are not in such a difficult industry, you can keep honest companies honest. You can keep, keep them guessing. They can't see what you have. I love that. That's great. It's overkill most of the time. It's not necessary. But Miss V, 
you cannot look up a provisional patent on the uh, patent office website. So, which is great. I love it. Okay. Waleed said, hi, Andrew. Why usually do companies not give a reason for their refusal? Each time I ask the company why they weren't interested, they didn't, they didn't answer this question. Okay. I talked to a guy, I remember it was at the hardware show. I'm not going to mention the company's name. It was the gardening section. And we were just shooting the shit about um, inventing, inventors, licensing and stuff like that. And he told me, because I, I see him every year at the show. He's like, Andrew, I never give a reason. And I'm like, and that, I thought that was a little extreme. I don't find that to be typical at all. But, And I'm like, why? And he's like, I don't have freaking time to argue with an inventor. And I'm like, argue? Inventors are arguing with you? He's like, oh, yeah, they'll argue this or that, and like be really unprofessional. I'm like, wow, I'm sorry. That's, that's unfortunate. So there are inventors guys out there that are unprofessional and will waste a company's time. And some got to a point where they're like, I don't want to do that anymore. They don't have time, guys. Like they're looking at your sales team, determining whether or not they're interested in six seconds. That's all the time they have. So for them to write a bunch and then for you to have a comeback, that's they, they don't have time for that. Now, the way you can ask Waleed that I think will set you apart from other inventors is to say, I fully accept that this product's not a right match for your company at this time or that you are interested in this product. If you have a second or two, you can email me back a sentence or two. That would be great, but I fully understand if you don't have the time. And you might be surprised. But so here's the deal. So let's say you had 30 companies, okay? And every single one, you said that. So you, you, that you, what are you doing? You're fully accepting. You're telling them, I fully accept your no. If you have a second or two, I'm not, I'm not expecting it to give me any feedback to write a sentence or two. I'd appreciate it, but I totally don't expect it. I look forward to submitting you more products. Okay. Then you just set yourself aside from the whiny inventor that kept going back and forth and wasting a ton of their time that they didn't have. And they might actually provide you advice where they wouldn't do it for another inventor. But let's say you did that with all 30 companies and six of them, only one in five gave you feedback. Well, now you got feedback from six companies because most of our students are reaching out to 20, 30 companies in most situations. So you have to rejigger, you have to readjust your feeling of being rejected, you know, and that's not rejection. So I would say if you did that, you were a fully functioning inventor. You're doing things very professional, but that's not what some inventors do. They whine, they complain, but, 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 and it's like companies like, I don't have time to go back and forth five or six times via email. It's very irritating. That's what this guy was saying. Um, so they just don't have time for it, you know, and sometimes they don't even know why they're just look at it. And they're like, yeah, my gut's telling me, no, they're not interested. And they don't want you to keep bugging them for that particular product. So they wanted to get back to you. Good. That's great. Like, I hate it with the ones that like, they're trying to be nice and not respond to you. Some of them, some of them are just don't want to bother, but, and that's not doing you any service. You know, I mean, if, if you get a no, you're great. You can move on. So again, the approach could be, you know, I fully accept your no. If you have a minute or two to get, write a sentence or two, give me some feedback. And I, but I look forward to submitting you more products and, and just saying you don't expect it. You know, don't expect it. Um, you'd be surprised what you might get. But again, the, don't then expect every single company to give you feedback. Let's say one in five. 
you know, and then you can get some, because that feedback can be really valuable. But if you're expecting it to be from every company all the time, and you aren't, Waldeed, I don't, I didn't, you didn't write that. Um, Leaf said, thanks for the answer, Andrew. To be a little more specific, say my invention incorporates a phone holder. This is only one piece of it, but I want to use the holder in its entirety. Is that okay? I, I can't answer that. You need to look at what the claims are of any particular patent because I think it was a patent question earlier. People try to ask questions in general, and, and I can't, I can't answer that. But sometimes people ask this question: What percentage different does it need to be? You can't ask that question. No patent attorney could ever answer that. It's like, what are the claims? Am I violating those claims? You know, that's that's what it comes down to. That's the answer. Um, uh, Veronica said, yeah, my background is in brand licensing. I've developed style guides for Disney. Cool. She knows what she's talking about. I'm willing, wanting to transition to a product designer instead of just an artist designer, textile designer. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah. So Veronica, she has a background in, in brand licensing. You know, she talked about earlier, which is like Disney licensing Mickey Mouse for you for a manufacturer to put on a t-shirt and they get a royalty. So instead of an invention, they license their brand, whether it's a character or a name or whatever it is, or or Jeep to put on a speaker or whatever it is, you know, the, the, the car company. Um, so that's cool. So she's already kind of like understanding licensing, you know, to a certain extent. Um, and that's cool. So, Veronica, I'm, I'm glad to have you here, and um, hopefully you learn a lot about licensing from our channel. And by the way, before we wind up, which we got a full 17 minutes before we wind up, if you guys could do me a favor of spending an hour answering your questions for free, down below, click on subscribe, click on the notifications button, click on thumbs up. I, I forget if on the live streams you can click on thumbs up. I think you can. And I really appreciate that. And watch more of our videos, too. Um, they're all free. Oh, gosh. Uh, Mike said, Mike repairs stuff as his handle. What is the most important product that was made that InventRight helped come to fruition? I can't say most important product. I mean, every product's important to the inventor. Some people are doing, a, is, is, is this product saving lives? You know, it's a dog toy. The dog's enjoying it. Um, we had a student recently licensed, uh, did a very, very big deal with a medical device company. And it has to do with CPAP machines, you know, the machines people use to breathe when they're sleeping. That could save somebody's life, I suppose, you know. So I, I don't know how to calibrate that, like what's the most important. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't say. It's, uh, you know, everyone's the most important to that particular inventor. Some are just bringing a smile to your face. Some are just adding a little feature that might make somebody purchase one product over another. Some are, are like actually saving lives, like this could save somebody's life. Um, so I don't know, or just making somebody's life easier. So I can't really, thank you for asking that question though. Um, I, when you say important, I'm thinking like, hey, I've saved somebody life. So it's probably some of the medical products that our students have licensed. I gotta put some of them up here. I don't have any of those up here. Um, do check out um, our holiday gift guide. I think it's up further up in the chat. 
Um, but like I had a student license, those giants, not this big, it's much bigger, a boring drill the size of a Volkswagen bug. That's not going to be in our gift guide. The gentleman that licensed the CPAP device, that's not in our gift guide. You're not buying somebody a CPAP accessory for, for Christmas, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I would say something that saved somebody's lives, you know, but, uh, interesting. Um, still water eight, a high under, I have a non-provisional patent pending on a medical device. A number of manufacturers have, um, have an invention, have invention landing pages, a number of menu. Okay. Do you recommend submitting your product through the landing page? or find someone internally to respond with, correspond with. So our approach is to correspond with a marketing manager directly through LinkedIn, through email, through the phone, LinkedIn being the most popular um, email, second and third, the phone. Those medical device companies are kind of hard to get a hold of on the phone. Um, so we recommend, and our whole thing is go direct. Now, if you want to send through their site and then go direct as well, I see no harm in that. Our other co-founder, Stephen Keyes, like that's a waste of time. I don't see it as a waste of time. I think it's fine to do it, but don't count on anything happening through their submission portal. I would always reach out directly to a marketing manager, um, but I don't see any harm in submitting through their portal as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, Caleb was there with the nail and hammer thing again. Hope to make things clear. This is the largest nail supplier in the U.S. It's not a nail. It's something else. They have much larger voice than me. Maybe they can reach people that I can't have my idea seriously viewed. No, man. It's not how it works. I have had um, really, and this is going back to the people are just cool, I think. A lot of people are cool. I've had people um, submit, our students submit a product to a company, and they're like, well, this isn't right for me, but you might try this in this company. Isn't that cool? So, yeah, that could happen, um, Caleb, but that should never be a major. It just kind of happens naturally, and they might have a suggestion, but they're not going to, like, run around, like, connecting you. Oh, well, maybe they'll have the connection. Just go directly to the companies that can license it. But I don't see any harm in it, Caleb. I think it's fine. But don't don't expect to license that way. Um Caleb say, do you still offer the one-hour call service through InventRight? Yes, we have a kickstart call that you guys can do for one hour. So, Caleb, if you, it sounds like you need some help uh, with your nail and hammer. It's not a, it's not a nail or a hammer. But, um, so, yeah, you can go to InventRight, click on services, find the kickstart call, and you can do that, um, definitely. Uh, Inventor Skeezy Q, that's a fun handle. Uh, I plan to use InventRight as a service. I invented a touch sensor, Baby Walker. I submitted uh, a provisional patent. And I'm looking for my next steps for support and guidance. Any advice? Um, many models made. Um, yeah, you got a, a, you know, there's a lot of uh, companies making baby related products out there. And, you know, sometimes I always thought like, oh, it should be like the CEO should be like a mom, right? Or something like that. But I get a, I get the feeling sometimes that some of these baby related product companies, like it's just old guys like smoking cigars. It's not necessarily what you think. Um, some of them could be tough negotiators, but, you know, a lot of volume could be done there. So um, my advice is to understand how to submit, have a great sell sheet, be submitting to the right companies, have reviewed their product line. Um, but your question is kind of too too general. 
but um, I've had many of our students license baby-related products. Uh, Les licensed, um, he licensed this product. So this product is um, a product to help kids like pick things up, like not kids, but infants uh, pick things up and it's a mat. And so that's kind of, that's kind of cool. So yeah, baby products are totally licensable. So I would go for it. Um, I'm biased, but I think you might be better off with our support and advice and without it. But again, that's my bias because that's what we do. Um, let's see. Jinx Media. Thanks for the session. What would be a good response to a company that wants to see the PPA very early in your communications with them? So um, never show your PPA, never send a prototype without talking to them first. I've, I've shared this so many times, but our negotiation coach, uh, Paul, companies don't always ask for PPAs and sell she and, 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 pro and prototypes. Um, and, but here's an interesting statistic. So when they do, Paul, our negotiation coach, who would know, because all our students, when they get interest, they talk to him. When they ask for it, and then Paul says, no, don't give it to him. Get on the phone and talk to him. You want to get on the phone, have a conversation. Those companies that ask for a PPA or a prototype or both, half of them, half, guys, half of them, when you get on the phone with them, they don't bring up either. They, they don't, you know, maybe the company's licensed 15 products, maybe five, maybe none. They don't know how to start the conversation. So they ask for stuff like that doesn't move the deal forward. Now, some of them will still ask and they'll still be interested. But the, the, the answer is get on the stupid phone with them and have a conversation. The patent is not important at the beginning. You know, it's like talk about the product, talk about how it fits in with their product, like talk about a million other things and say, I'd be happy to get in the intellectual property, but I'd like to talk to you about the product first, you know? So don't just send the PPA when they ask for it. Don't do that. Um, this is interesting. Um, I am man. Uh, can you talk about private label approach? Um, yeah, we've had, you can license to companies that do private label. We've had companies on our bridge in the gap talks with our students where they say, oh, we also do the private label for Home Depot or for Lowe's or whatever, or some other company. So you can license to a company that does the private label. And, but for the most part, company or store brands, they're just trying to reduce cost and generic stuff. Like I, I know this one company they were doing a certain line of power tools. So if you showed it to them, they could then show it to the manufacturer. But for the most part, for most private label brands, for um, they're just trying to reduce cost and generic stuff. They're not looking for anything too innovative. It's a chair, it's a towel, it's a curtain. It's like generic stuff. And they're just trying to cut out the middleman and just get it manufactured directly, usually in Asia and then bring it over. So usually with the house brands, um, they're, they're not looking to do very innovative stuff. Okay. So you can license to them, but it's a lot less likely to happen. I don't think one of our students have ever licensed to a house brand, um, you know, because look at their lines. There's nothing innovative there. That's not what they're doing a house brand for. But if a line, a house brand line, a Walmart brand line or whoever, if, you know, and they're doing something innovative. Okay, maybe, but most of the time they're not. And I think if you look at that, you'll find that to be true. 
Um, Caleb, so thanks for your time, Andrew. You're welcome, Caleb. I feel like a sneeze coming on here. I'm a really loud sneezer, so I'm just warning you guys. Um, it's it's hint is their handle. Hi, I pitched a game to a large toy company. They said they could be interested if I adapt the game to one of their popular IPs. Okay, one of their popular brands. Great, so freaking do it. Um, you know, oh, you're gonna expand on it. Can I still add IPs? I don't know if you mean brands or you mean patents. Uh, can I still add the patent pending in the new pitch deck using their IPs design to pitch the product? I don't know. You, so usually you said they they could be interested if I adapt the game to one of their popular IPs. Popular IPs? Like IP is short for intellectual property. So you're saying popular patents? And if you're talking about popular products, it sounds like they, they might want you to modify the product to show a character or something. Um, but I don't know what you mean by popular IPs. If you want it to be accommodated to one of their popular patents, that doesn't, that's not making sense to me. Um, but yeah, but I'll give you an example. So this, oops, almost knocked that over there. Uh, one of our students uh, licensed this and he came to them with a completely different product. And they told him what they were looking for in the way of a mandolin for slicing vegetables. Like generally you're looking for something in this area. And he he came up with it and then he showed him this and they freaking licensed it. So always take advantage of that opportunity. A good percentage of inventing is done after you show to the company. So if they're telling you, well, could you do it like this or like that? Or this is kind of what we're looking for. Use your creativity. Try to accommodate them. Show them something new. That's a big part of inventing. Inventors, a lot of inventors don't get that. And any professional inventor does. Um, so, yeah, accommodate them. Um, but... You know, I, it sounds like you're particularly saying you want them to utilize their patent or their product in your product. You know, ask for some more specifics, you know. Um, and so if you can accommodate their design and their intellectual property into your new one, yeah, you can still say patent pending on the sell sheet. That's fine. It doesn't matter. They already looked at your initial one. They said, can you do this? You know, and now you're going to try to do it. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um but yeah, it's great. That's 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 fantastic. When you start to get feedback from companies, can you do this? Can you do that? And you're accommodating them. You're pro. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, Inventor Skeezy Q. Not sure about your handle there, but it's funny. Um, my invention is for rehabilitation, mainly for preemie babies and toddlers. My question is: there a difference in the chances of an invention? for needs than wants. Um, no, I, I think that I think that a lot of products, you don't need most of this stuff that's up here. Um, I mean, you don't want your want it and then other things are needs. Uh, no, I think you just hit upon the, the benefits of the product. So if it's going to make it easier for uh, a mother to take care of a preemie baby um, or the nurse at the hospital, you sell the benefits. It's always about selling the benefits, whether it's a need or a want. Okay. So I don't think there's a big difference there as long as you're still selling benefits. Okay. Not features, benefits. Okay. Well, this is a good question because they're misinterpreting. Lloyd's Noble says, how do you exactly find the number to ask big box stores to tell them about your invention? You don't. 
you, again, as I said at the top of the hour, you don't reach out to retailers to license your product. You reach out to the manufacturer that sells the retailer. So this product I was holding up, the name of this particular company is Joseph & Joseph. So if you notice that they had products in Walmart and they're doing kitchen stuff, you're like, oh, what do you know? Well, they're in Walmart and they're selling kitchen stuff and I got a kitchen product, so I'm going to reach out to them. So Lloyd's Noble, you don't reach out to the retailer. You reach out to the manufacturer that sells the retailer. Okay. Um, in it said, I meant one of their brands. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't have enough information, but I, I like that they're giving you feedback. So just accommodate that feedback. Um, Steve said, and we're going to wind it up in a few minutes here. An inventor is is way too accrediting, I'm just reading it like you wrote it, is way too accrediting for me. So how about innovator, um, whom for whatever reason is unable to fill the necessary prerequisite of an unlicensed best-selling product? Okay, so are you, are you saying, Steve, that you wanna change, instead of your title being inventor, you'd say innovator, I think that's fine. Um, I guess that's your question. I think that's fine. Uh, we always said in the past, use product developer. It sounds more professional than inventor, but actually big companies now, last couple of years are starting to use inventor because they think it's cool. So I think inventor, innovator, product developer, I'm not sure if that was your question. So sorry if it wasn't, is fine. It doesn't really matter. Um, just don't have a picture of yourself in your email signature wearing a tinfoil hat and you'll and conduct yourself professionally, and then you'll be fine. Uh, Mike Repair Stuff says, great show. If you guys could type in any thanks for me, that would be great. So anybody that sees this or watches the replay, that would be great. Um, anything you have to say there? Um, check out our, let me see if I still have it in the chat here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to do our holiday gift guide. So why is this holiday gift guide cool? Because every product that's in here our students are selling. So I would say like 95, 98% of them, these are products for students licensed. There's a few of them in there that are students have ventured. But so it's gonna be very motivational for you guys. So support your fellow inventor, support an InventRight student that licensed their product by buying their product. Um, it's just a cool place. And maybe it's an interesting story. Hey, yeah, an inventor licensed this. And you could tell your friends and family when you give it to them and they're like, Maybe they take you a little bit more seriously as an inventor if they're not. Um, so check out that gift guide. Check out our website and book a call with us on the Contact Us page on our site. And down below, click on subscribe, click on the notifications button, give it a thumbs up. I really appreciate that for spending an hour to answer your questions for free. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you, Heidi. Thank Lloyds. Um, let's see. Uh, and, and then I'm going to answer one last question because I just can't help myself. Uh, Dr. E. D. Dre Wilder, uh, can you make more licensing with a history of sales? No, you could. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to go out and venture the product, get in 10,000 stores and have great distribution, all sorts of testimonials? Could you get more licensing it that way? Yeah, maybe. But if you're selling like 50 here, 500 units a month, it, it's going to make it look worse than better. And whenever you, you've done that, say, oh, but I've just been testing it. 
but don't think you're going to get more money by selling a few here and there. It's brutal, guys, to venture a product. Most of the time, you need hundreds of thousands of dollars just to barely get started. So to do all that and spend years of your life to go, well, maybe I'll get 6% royalty instead of five, that's just not smart. Okay, most, the vast majority of our students have never sold a single unit. They don't even have a working product sometimes. It's just obvious how it would be made, and they just did a virtual prototype. Now, a percentage of our students have been venturing the product, and I'm like, great, keep venturing it, work on licensing it, and if you get a deal that's going to make you a lot more money than you're currently for you selling it yourself right now, then go for it. If you don't get that deal, keep selling it. So we get a percentage of students that have been venturing as well. But don't think my strategy, I'm going to try to sell it myself so I can get more money. I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to barely get started, dump my day job, do this 40 to 60 hours a week in order to get a slightly better licensing deal. The licensing you can do with two to six hours a week. And don't think that's not a reason to get to try to get a better licensing deal. That would be just basically idiotic, you know, um, but it's a great question because people do have it. So, OK, thank you for all the thank yous, everybody. Um, I won't I won't read them because I try to be humble and all that. But I really appreciate appreciate um, my two cents I've been watching for eight months. I freaking love that. That's great. Um, Chad, thank you so much, Chad. I think has been watching these and then became a student as well as um, as Wade, who was here earlier. I don't know if he's still here. And thank you, Stefan, too. So I remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye. Mm -hmm.